You're listening to Diffuse Tech with Kenny Estes and Isla Krem. In the last 48 hours, we saw the collapse of Terra and a significant drop in Bitcoin price, which means today's topic is super timely. Is crypto a bubble? We'll be discussing with Keith Black, Managing Director of Financial Data Professional Institute. Enjoy. Hello, everybody. That number stopped going up. So we will start the event. Hopefully you had some good networking in your breakout rooms. As a friendly reminder, first and foremost, please do stay on mute in the big room where you are right now. Otherwise, it causes mayhem. Um, for those of you who um, haven't been here before, this is a weekly uh, event, I guess we can call it. This is episode number 102. And the format is always the same. We're going to briefly talk about Diffuse Tap and Diffuse. We're going to do a fireside chat with our speaker du jour, who is Keith Black today. And then we're going to do two more rounds of breakout rooms, kind of similar to what you just experienced. The reason, I think many of you could probably do the speech for me at this point. Uh, the reason is because this is first and foremost a networking event. It's a chance for you to meet a bunch of alternative investors from all over the world in small groups of four or five to network and just see what comes out of it. A lot of business deals have happened. So uh, yeah, hopefully it help, helps you out. But we do want you to come away a little bit wiser, hence the insights version where we do 15 minutes with a speaker who's much smarter than us and shares some of his wisdom. Now, if you like this type of networking event, we do do in-person versions of it. The next one is on May 26th in Dallas. Many of you would have been at the Atlanta one last night. We are still waiting for photos from Mr. Culver, but hopefully you had fun. But if you're in Dallas at, on that time, definitely go check it out. And then Diffuse, what we do is we spin up crypto hedge funds. So we have two actively managed DeFi strategies. One's market neutral, one's market long. Uh, many of you, if you are curious, know we did not take a huge hit from US Terra, the Terra implosion over the last 48 hours. A little bit more deliberate than that. And then we also have the DD30, which is our index fund, which are in the process of IPOing. If you would like to invest pre-IPO and earn a GP stake forever, uh, definitely check us out. We just dropped the minimum to $50,000. So check that. But you're not here to hear about us or our funds, um, but probably Mr. Keith Black. So Keith, would you mind unmuting yourself and briefly introducing yourself? Uh, thanks, everyone. My name is Keith Black. I'm with uh, FDP Institute Financial Data Professional, where we have an educational program that teaches about uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning applications in financial markets. And I was uh, 11 years at CHI Association, where we have 12,000 members in 100 countries around the world uh, who've studied with us on uh, alternative investments, including hedge funds and venture capital, uh, as well as real assets. Beautiful. I'll hop right in there and uh, start off with timing could not have been more brilliant. <laughs> Thank you for coming on today to talk about how this could or maybe or should be a uh, bubble. How did you get into the whole comparison of dot-com versus crypto as a bubble? When, when did you start thinking about this? Well, well, what's interesting, Isla, is I'm probably invested in crypto because I wasn't invested in the dot-com. Uh, and, and so, you know, I saw people make and lose a lot of money in the dot-com. I kind of uh, had some, some FOMO at the time, but I didn't take advantage of it. And I, I felt, uh, you know, a little bit vindicated when, when things came down. But I, I figured out that I didn't want to miss it this time. 
and and so I, I put uh, put about three percent of my assets in in crypto uh, about two years ago, and thankfully that's about ten percent now. And uh, it's it's been uh, quite quite a ride and and learn about um, all, all things crypto over the last couple of years. So you often go with an analogy between the dot com kind of bubble and crypto. Kind of what do you see as the similarities? Kind of obviously this is pattern recognition at its worst or best, depending on how you say it. Uh, what do you see as the similarities and differences between now and then? Uh, so I, I was closely following it, uh, you know, tw- twenty five years ago, uh, and so ninety seven, ninety eight, ninety nine, we saw a tremendous number of uh, of companies uh, enter into what now we know as as Web two. And there, there was a lot of uh, there's a lot of speculation. There's a lot of hype, and the idea was that any company could simply change their name to .com or say we built a website or we're going into e-commerce, and you'd see an immediate increase in their stock price between you know 50% and 300% in a matter of, of hours or days. And so there's a, a, a tremendous amount of money going into uh, Web two with the promise of shutting down the brick and mortar world. So if we have all these websites, nobody's ever again gonna buy clothes in a store. They're all gonna get it online. And maybe that came true for, uh, for books or music or, uh, or travel, but uh, we see that at the end of the day, 25 years later, uh, e-commerce still has you know, a five to 25% share. So in the, in the crypto space, I think we see some of the same kind of uh, speculation, the, the same kind of, E-trade ads, you know, where, you know, I'm a millionaire, I'm not a millionaire, I'm a millionaire, not a millionaire. It's like they're repeating the crypto ads that are exactly the same as the dot-com ads uh, 25 years ago. So we, we see people uh, perhaps wanting to get rich without uh, doing the due diligence and seeing what they're, they're really investing in. And if you think of the, the risk factors, maybe even in the dot-com bubble, there was some kind of semblance of this is a a real business have some relationship to it versus maybe a USD, like a stable coin is a lot more esoteric to kind of wrap your head around. Um, if you had to kind of outline the risk factors in each of these markets and the, maybe even the public's ability to assess the risk factors in each, how would you compare and contrast um, whether people are faster at getting in over their head um, in crypto than they were in the dot-com bubble? And, and so the, the promise of crypto is building this this web three right kind of taking control of our own destiny we could take control over our own financial destiny take control over our own uh, data destiny uh, but at the end of the day what we saw in um in in dot coms is that there was a tremendous rise in the in the nasdaq uh from 97 into into march of 2000 and from march of 2000 into uh into october uh, the NASDAQ lost uh, more than half its value, $1.9 trillion. And, and there was a lot of overcapacity in the space. And there was companies that were purely speculative. They, they said they were in, uh, in Web2, but they didn't really have a, a competitive product. And what, what ultimately popped that, um, that dot-com bubble is that everyone was saying that uh, in the long run, all of these companies are gonna, going to take market share from the brick and mortars. But most of these companies didn't have the money to make it to the end of the year 2000, let alone make it to the, to the long run. And so uh, when we look at, at cryptos, the vast majority of the 18,000 coins out there are going to zero, period, right? A lot of these are inherently speculative. And like Doge and Shibu Inu, they're just like pets.com. 
right? People say they're a joke, but as of the other day, they're, they're trading at $25 billion between them and there's, and there's no utility. And so what we need to do is, uh, is, is do our due diligence and figure out, you know, who has a business model, who has the assets and, and not. And so there, there'll be a th thousands of, of coins that, that will be worth zero in the long run. But uh, let me know when you want me to tell the, the, the good news of the story, Island. <laughs> well, we're going to do one more bad news and put you on the spot. Doge, um, it's a fork of Bitcoin itself. So if we're making the argument that Doge is pets.com and is eventually going to zero, would you extend that argument to the coin that has literally the identical source code, which is Bitcoin? It, it's, it's a matter of trust, right? And it's a matter of the, the number of, uh, of network users. And so we, we see that, uh, you know, for better or worse, you know, Michael Saylor and Elon Musk and, and Jack Dorsey have pretty big uh, corporate stakes in, in Bitcoin. And so they've, uh, they've raised the bar and said, this is, this is a, a corporate treasury asset. This is a store of value. So people like the, the, the code that, that limits Bitcoin to, to 20 million, uh, 21 million coins outstanding. And we see that uh, the Doge and a lot of these other meme coins have a, have a much greater supply outstanding. But ultimately, it comes down to supply and demand. And Bitcoin has that limited supply of 21 million. And we believe, at, at least as of now, people, uh, people believe that, that Bitcoin is a store of value. And as long as it's held in those, in those corporate treasuries, there's probably enough uh, trust to sustain the demand. And the idea is that every four years, the, the rate of block, block creation in, in Bitcoin slows down, and that's going to uh, reduce the supply. And if demand grows, uh, Bitcoin could be a store of value. Maybe uh, get to your positive side of things. How do you see this going forward? Because after the big dot-com crash, people regrouped and the internet turned out to, after all, not be such a bubble. Um, how do you think that things are going to move forward? Maybe we bucket stable coins in one part of the conversation and everything else on the other end. Um, what is the path you see as the path being? So we, we lost $1.9 trillion from, from March to October of 2000 in the NASDAQ. And one of those companies was Amazon.com, which uh, a couple of weeks ago was worth $1.9 trillion. Uh, but also out of this came eBay and Broadcom and, and Priceline. A couple of years later came uh, Google and, and Netflix. And so even though there was thousands of, uh, of um, coins that are going to zero, even though the vast majority of dot coms uh, did go to zero, what we saw was 20 years later, there was that promise but it's concentrated in a very small number of projects. And so if you think about the business model of Amazon versus Priceline versus Broadcom versus eBay, and then a couple of years later, Google and Netflix, every one of those is completely different. Certainly they use you know, the, the, the pipes of, of Web2 to deliver their products, but we need to understand what the business models of these of these cryptos are and so if if web 2 is winner take all we could also think that that crypto is winner take all and some of the biggest companies in the world uh you know five years forward on the on the order of google or amazon uh, could be cryptos today but it's going to be a relatively limited number of crypto projects that are going to have that those um those hundred billion dollar values in the long uh, we're talking about values and Ainsley was, was DMing me as we, as you were talking there as well. Um, crypt, uh, dot com era, 
they're, you know, not necessarily cash flows, right? That was a lot of the issue was like, these were pre-revenue products in a lot of cases. And ultimately, you know, the, the valuations that they had were not supportable. Do you see the same thing playing out here? And do you see that there is intrinsic value to some of these tokens above and beyond just future cash flows? Do we think we're in a new economic paradigm? Yeah, so in, in the dot-com, we, we kind of made up a lot of metrics, right? You know, price to eyeballs was, was something that people talked about uh, back in the day. But if you look on tokenterminal.com, they'll give you the 12-month the revenue to different cryptos, and then they'll give you the, the price to sales multiples. And so uh, what, what people have, uh, what the revenue has been to, to miners and stakers and, and liquidity providers, over the last 12 months, it's been $7.2 billion in, in Ether. It's been 1.6 billion in Uniswap, 620 million in Bitcoin, 450 million in SushiSwap, and 310 million in Compound. And so if we see that there's, that there's these hundreds of millions of dollars or billions of dollars of fees going through these projects, they're, they're clearly not worth zero. You could put a, a price to sales multiple on it. You could put a DCF model on it and do a, a pretty traditional valuation and come up with something that says, uh, you know, ETH is worth uh, a lot more than a lot more than zero. Now that uh, ETH is worth a lot more than zero, and, and hopefully it'll it'll maintain like that. What do you think is going to happen to innovation in this space? Thanks to meltdowns like the one that we just had. Um, obviously, money is flowing out of the system. Trust is going down quite a bit. Um, what do you think is going to happen to new projects coming online, um, really good projects with proper risk management and collateralization and all that, um, getting off the ground and being meaningful over the next, say, six to nine months. Right. So we, we need to do our, our due diligence on these, uh, on these crypto projects. We need to, to figure out uh, what is um, a, a good thing and what is a bad thing, right? And so we need to see uh, are, are people uh, managing these like they're managing companies? Uh, what's the what's the utility of their project? Are they looking at something that's um, recreating a traditional business? Uh, you know, like uh, Ave and Compound are, are borrowing and lending, and you know, Binance and, and Uniswap are are maybe recreating securities exchanges. Or are they creating a completely uh, new business? Uh, we need to see that the, the the coin is designed well. There's the right security, the right custody. Uh, that uh, you know the, the code is is audited or auditable. They've got a good white paper. They've got a good business plan. Uh, they've got the right team, and we need to see uh, the size of their network. So, how many people hit their website? What's the total value locked? How many people follow them on Twitter or Discord or Telegram? What's the what's the code look like on on GitHub? And, and are they trying to recreate a brand new blockchain? Or are they just going to say, okay, we're going to go with uh, something pretty popular like an ERC-20 token. We're going to focus on the functionality of our DAP rather than creating our, our own uh, layer one. That makes sense. And that actually feeds into the diligence feeds into Joe Malam's uh, tongue-in-cheek tongue question, which is uh, a lot of the speculators, uh, not necessarily investors in crypto, do you think that they're able to do that due diligence? What does that look like? How much ex expertise do you need to have the ability to do that yourself? Uh, I mean, some some of it's relatively straightforward, right? You could you could look at uh, you know tokenterminal.com, say, and and just see the 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 flows that's going through it. You could see the total value locked. You could see the the revenue to the miners and the stakers and, and the liquidity providers. You know, everything in crypto is open source, so there is a, a good ability to to do your homework to see the number of of wallets and the increase in the in the number of wallets. 
but but uh, a lot of people might not have the um, the sophistication or the background of of an experienced public equity investor or, or an experienced venture capital investor. And then maybe the the other the other parallel here is what if crypto is just like publicly traded venture capital? What if every one of these is a is a startup project? Uh, we know that that startups are are prone to failure. Some of them are are spectacular successes, but not every not every venture project gets funded as well. And so we need to take the the mindset of a of a public equity investor or even a venture capital investor and and do our homework in these projects. But but clearly uh, there's there's a lot of people in the in the space who are who are driven by uh, by social media and they're buying the the TikTok coin of the day. Uh, which probably didn't come from a lot of due diligence. Hmm. Very good point. One other question that, that that popped up here as well is all the talk about a CBDC. Um, does this kind of undermine that whole concept and, and say, actually, we're not ready for it. Let's park this whole project CBDC for a while. Or do you think actually um, there's still value in this? It's just that the approach has been a bit flawed uh, thus far, and therefore we should still invest resources and energy both governments and kind of private entities to, to build this out as a concept. So, so it, it's interesting that, that the Bitcoin white paper came out in, in October of 08, just, just a few weeks after the demise of Lehman Brothers. And then the first block was printed early in, in 2009. And the very first Bitcoin block had a message about bank bailouts. And so uh, this entire space was designed to be a bit libertarian, a bit uh, decentralized, and we really didn't want to be pinned down to, to one bank or one government or one brokerage firm. Uh, but at the end of the day, the way the way this uh, this could be playing out is this entire industry could be owned by J.P. Morgan and Visa and and the U.S. Fed, uh, and that certainly wouldn't sit well with the, the decentralized pioneers who started this. Uh, the the U.S. Fed came out with a uh, with a white paper. Uh, talking about uh, crypto just just a few weeks ago, and they were um, they were open to the idea, but they seemed pretty pretty concerned uh, uh, about two two different areas. One one area they were concerned about was the the spread between the yields on stable coins and and bank accounts. Right. So if you're making you know fifty or hundred uh, basis points in your bank account, uh, my stable coin of choice is uh, Gemini Coin. Uh, Gemini dollar, which is now paying 6.9%. I thought that um, you know maybe 19.5% yield on a stable coin was a it was a little too aggressive. I didn't want to go there. Um, but what the Fed says is there's there's two main risks of a of a stable coin. Uh, one is that will um, will drain money from the from the banking industry. And if everybody wants to make a seven percent yield instead of a one percent yield. The cost of corporate credit and the cost of mortgages could substantially increase if a lot of money comes out of the banking sector. Uh, but they they also said, what if a, a, a CBDC uh, drains assets from the banking system? So in a flight to quality scenario, uh, if we believe the Fed is a better credit risk than than our local bank, uh, we might be draining assets from from that as as well. So the Fed seems open to it. They think that there's uh, some financial inclusion angles. Of a, of a CBDC, we could pay tax refunds and uh, social security payments uh, in, um, in the CBDC, uh, but we do have to worry about um, the systemic uh, risk of it as well. All right, so we'll do a knock on there. So you mentioned uh, GUSD, Gemini's US dollar, paying about 6.9%. Obviously, UST was the one that was doing 19 and a half and was not super stable. 
Um, that six and a half is surprisingly close to the true inflation rate. So how much do you think what's going on here is actually, yeah, you're getting higher yields because the Fed is keeping the traditional finance yields artificially low? But what I what I heard from um, Web3 breakdowns with Eric Golden, he, he did uh, uh, a podcast on, on where the yield comes from. And, and his idea is that Gemini is paying me 7% and they're taking my money and loaning it to hedge funds at 10%. And then hedge funds are investing it in arbitrage trades that earn maybe 10 to 13%. So I'm getting half the yield and then the other half of the yield goes to, uh, to Gemini as, as kind of a, a broker lender and then to, to hedge funds. And so if, uh, if Bitcoin's trading cheap in Japan and expensive in Korea, people who have the pipes to do that can, can earn arbitrage profits. And for, for most of the last two years, there's been contango in the, in the Bitcoin futures on the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. So the futures were trading about 100 basis points a month rich uh, to cash Bitcoin. So you could uh, buy the Bitcoin, sell the futures and pick up 100 basis points. And the idea was that traditional banks don't want to loan to, to crypto players or crypto hedge funds. And so uh, we need to have, uh, I guess myself as a liquidity provider, enabling these, these arbitrages to hedge funds but efficient markets theory tells us that uh, that the more money and the more time is invested in arbitrages, eventually those arbitrages go away. Totally makes sense. Love it. Uh, very uh, sweeping conversation in the best possible way. But people do lose focus in Zoom rooms. So we're going to go to our next breakout room. A couple of quick housekeeping items for all y'alls. Um, first off, no pitching. This is a networking event, not a pitching event. Please be do respect words. Please do be respectful of that. Also be kind to one another. And for privacy reasons, we do not send out a full participant list. So if you want to connect with anybody you meet in the breakout room, swap details then and there, or join our Telegram group. Links in the chat. Introduce yourself, ask for something. Community is really great about, well, helping. Awesome. I will pop you all into breakout rooms of some five, six folks. Um, don't be shy to stick around and actually talk to people. These are all interesting investors in various kinds. Um, I'll give you a question. Don't feel beholden to stick to it. But uh, as kind of a conversation started, what do you think Mr. Kwan should do about Terra today? <laughs> All this money on black or, you know, bow out, disappear into nothing. Bahamas looking good right now and do something else. What do you think he should do um, with his current position and power that he has and responsibility he carries? I'll put you into rooms and we'll see you back here shortly. Oh, and Keith, the warning I forgot to give you. We uh, we always ask the same question between breakout rooms. Prognosticate. What's coming down? What are you excited by? Um, both well, if you would have asked me last week, I would have said there's a couple of stable coins that are risky. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> we'll come back to that. And what I'll tell you the other one in room 11. Well, have a, yeah, yeah. Have a thing. We'll ask you in between rooms. <laughs> <laughs> See ya. All right, everyone. Hopefully you had good conversations in your room. And we are back in black. Mr. Keith, prognostication. What? Uh, feel free to unmute yourself. You're probably muted. Um, what do you see coming down? What are you excited by? And bonus points if the audience has never heard of it. Bonus points if the audience has never heard of it. That, that's even better. I, I We just had uh, a pretty spirited discussion in our breakout room. Uh, I, I said that uh, that Tether is the the other risky stable coin. Mm. Uh, and, uh, and Rex had a, a little bit of a, a different opinion that uh, maybe the, the use case is uh, so ingrained in Tesla or, or Tether that uh, the people don't necessarily care exactly what's in their, in their treasury. 
Okay. Um, so your prognostication is tether goes bye-bye. I, it is. Okay. Okay. And so what I, I'm, I guys got to know, what do you think? So the collateral behind it, what do you think it is for tether and why do you think it's uh sketch? Right. It's, it's all about the, the collateral and it's all about the trust, right? So uh, the tether has a settlement with the New York attorney general uh, that requires them to disclose what's in their in their treasury, and it feels like they grudgingly agreed to do it for the next uh, the next year or so. And the idea is, as soon as their their uh, their purgatory is up from the New York Attorney General, they're going to go back to not disclosing uh, what's in their in their treasury. So right now, it's about seventy percent backed by um, you know things you'd find in a, in a money market, you know, cash and and gubbies and commercial paper. Uh, but about 30% of the, the tethered treasury is invested in, in gold and cryptos and uncollateralized loans. Uh, and of course, these uncollateralized loans aren't to related parties like they, they did uh, before they got sued by the New York Attorney General. Fascinating. Is that sketch enough for you, Kenny? It is sketch enough. So, so at least, so it sounds like the floor in your mind is 70 cents, the, the actual like real collateral and the, but that's still a massive DPEG and will cost a lot of people a lot of money. Right. So, so maybe the downside on, on tether is, is 70 cents, right. Which is maybe a little better than, than what we're seeing at, at Terra. <laughs> Terra to zero, baby. Yep. All well, right. well, it's still 40 cents, Kenny, or, or at least was an hour ago. Oh, sorry, I, can't, yeah, I can't guess where it is right now. If I looked at it an hour ago, right. Sorry, that was my prognostication. <laughs> we'll get there. It just might take a little bit. Um, all right. Do we want to do one more breakout room, uh, Ms. Isla? Let's do it. I will pop you into rooms very shortly. And uh, the question du jour, just so you have something new to bite into, um, where should people be putting their money now? Given uh, stable coins don't feel so stable anymore, is there somewhere where you would feel comfortable um, actually placing your assets? Is there a fund out there? Is there a project out there that you believe in? Is there a uh, money market account that you're just betting on big now? Uh, where do you want to place your assets today? I'll pop into little breakout rooms now, and we will see you back in 10 minutes. All right. Welcome back, everyone. We do try to be punctual, so we're going to do a quick housekeeping or uh, uh, wrap-up items and end in about one minute. Um, as a reminder, this is a weekly event. So we're going to talk about DEXs, Dex Deconstructed. See, alliteration, it's fun. Uh, definitely join us for that next week. As a reminder, we do have in-person diffuse taps um, on May 19th. We have one in Dallas. Make sure to check that out. And then we also uh, do have the Telegram group. You, There's a link in the chat. Feel free to join. I just relinked it in the chat. Introduce yourself. Um, in particular, the, the community is really great about networking. So if you never need to look for somebody, that's a great spot to go. Ayla, what did I forget? I think that's probably it, except keep an eye out for um, the newsletter tomorrow with our little IPO announcement and other goodies. Um, and otherwise, we will see you all next week. Don't be shy to reply to the thank you email that comes into your inbox in a couple of minutes. If you have any questions or want to learn more about us, we're always happy to have a chat with you. Keith, thank you very much for your insights with us here today. Massively appreciate you donating some of the, 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 your time. Chuck was actually just applauding you. So there you go. Extra, extra kudos. And everybody, thank you so much for coming out. Um, hope you enjoyed it. And we look forward to seeing you in a week. Have a good Danny, one. Danny, Isla, thank you. Thank okay. you. See you. Bye.
You've been listening to Diffuse Tab with Isla Krem and Kenny Estes. If you enjoyed these conversations, join us for the live version every Wednesday-ish at 10 a.m. Central. In addition to the fireside chat, the live event features three rounds of networking in small groups with alternative fund GPs, LPs, and supporters from around the world. Log on to www.diffusefunds.com to register yourself now.